Hey, Clinical Pearls family, welcome back to another episode. In this session, we're going to cover the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine's treatment protocol and algorithm for lactational mastitis and abscess. Yeah, I'm not sure if you knew, but there is an Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Let's get to that now. Mastitis is a common condition in lactating women. Estimates from prospective studies place the prevalence from 3% to 20%, depending on the definition and the length of postpartum follow-up. The majority of cases of lactational mastitis occur in the first six weeks, but mastitis can occur at any time during lactation. There have been few research trials in this area and various treatment algorithms. That's why the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine has released their revised clinical protocol for dealing with this condition. As for diagnosis, the usual clinical definition and diagnosis of mastitis is the tender, hot, swollen area of a breast, which is usually wedge-shaped, associated with temperature of 38.5 degrees Celsius or higher. This also includes chills, flu-like aching, and systemic symptoms. However, mastitis literally means and is defined as inflammation of the breast. Now, this inflammation may or may not actually involve a bacterial infection. Redness, pain, and heat may all be present when an area of the breast is engorged or an area is blocked or plugged, but an infection is not necessarily present. So, there actually appears to be a continuum from engorgement to non-infective mastitis to infective mastitis to breast abscess. Now, that's the continuum in an academic standpoint. Clinically, it becomes very hard to distinguish between just non-infective mastitis and infective mastitis unless a culture is performed, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the idea is that you don't want to delay treatment of this condition because, for example, untreated breast abscess can lead to severe breast tissue destruction and ultimately breast deformity. The following factors may predispose a lactating woman to the development of mastitis. Now, other than the fact that these are factors that result in milk stasis, the evidence for these associations is generally inconclusive. So there tends to be a correlation of these events rather than directly causative. Nonetheless, having damaged nipples, especially if colonized with staph aureus, is a predisposing factor to mastitis and possibly leading to breast abscess. Additionally, infrequent feeding or infrequent scheduled feedings can lead to persistent engorgement and superinfection of stagnant milk. Additionally, missed feedings, poor attachment, or weak or uncoordinated suckling can lead to inefficient removal of milk and may be a predisposing factor. Continuing on in this list is illness in the mother or the child, an oversupply of milk, rapid weaning, undue and abnormal pressure on the breast, which usually comes from a tight bra or even a seat belt, and maternal stress and fatigue have all been identified in various studies as predisposing factors for lactational mastitis. 
regarding the testing and evaluation for lactational mastitis. Remember, we've already said that the diagnosis tends to be on clinical and physical exam findings. However, the World Health Organization does state that milk testing for culture and sensitivity should be performed if there's no response to antibiotics within two days or if recurrent episodes of mastitis seem to be taking place. Additionally, breast milk culture can be obtained by collecting a hand-expressed midstream clean-catch sample into a sterile urine container. Now, a small quantity of the initially expressed milk should be discarded to avoid contamination of the sample with skin flora, and subsequent milk is expressed into the sterile container, taking care not to touch the inside of the container. Now, cleansing the nipple prior to collection may further reduce the risk of skin contamination and reduce the risk of false positive culture results. All right, once we take this quick pause for our sponsor, we're going to come back and talk about our management of this condition. As for management, effective milk removal during the treatment phase is of utmost importance. Because milk stasis is often the initiating factor in mastitis, the most important management step is frequent and effective milk removal. Mothers should be encouraged to breastfeed more frequently, starting on the affected breast. Now, if pain interferes with the letdown, feeding may begin on the unaffected breast, switching to the affected breast as soon as letdown is achieved. Now, after the feeding, expressed milk by hand or pump may augment milk drainage and hasten the resolution of the problem. Now, an alternate approach for swollen breast is fluid mobilization, which aims to promote fluid drainage towards the axillary lymph nodes. The mother reclines, and gentle hand motions start stroking the skin surface from the areola to the axilla. Now, there's no evidence of risk to the healthy term infant who continues breastfeeding from the mother with mastitis. Women who are unable to continue breastfeeding should express the milk from the breast by hand or pump. A sudden cessation of breastfeeding leads to a greater risk of abscess development than continuing to feed. Next, let's cover supportive measures and, of course, antibiotic therapy. Rest, adequate fluids, and nutrition are important measures in the treatment of mastitis. Practical help at home may be necessary for the mother to obtain adequate rest. Application of heat, for example, or a hot shower or a hot pack to the breast just prior to feeding may help with the letdown process and may help with milk flow. Regarding pharmacological treatment, although lactating women are often reluctant to take medications, women with mastitis should be encouraged to take the appropriate medications as indicated. This, of course, includes antibiotics. Now, if symptoms of mastitis are mild and have been present for less than 24 hours, then the conservative management like effective milk removal and the supportive measures may be sufficient. But if symptoms are not improving within 24 hours or if the woman is acutely ill or has high fever, then antibiotics should be started. So let's say this again. Antibiotics is necessary if conservative measures don't do the trick quickly, like within 24 hours of symptom presentation. Quick initiation of antibiotics helps shut off the pathway that may lead to further abscess. 
Regarding antibiotics, if symptoms of mastitis are mild and have been present for less than 24 hours, then a trial of conservative management, as we've just discussed, like effective milk removal and supportive measures, may be sufficient. But if symptoms are not improving within 12 to 24 hours, or if the woman is acutely ill, prompt antibiotics should be started. Now, worldwide, the most common pathogen for infective mastitis is penicillin-resistant Staph aureus. Less commonly, the organism can be Streptococcus or E. coli. The preferred antibiotic are usually penicillinase-resistant penicillins like dicloxacillin or flucloxacillin. Each one of those is 500 milligrams QID for up to 10 days. Now, first-generation cephalosporins are also generally acceptable as first-line treatment options, but may be less preferred because of their broader spectrum of coverage. Cephalexin is usually safe in women with suspected penicillin allergy, but clindamycin is suggested for cases of severe penicillin hypersensitivity. Dicloxacillin appears to have a lower rate of adverse hepatic offense than flucloxacillin. Many authorities recommend a 10 to 14 day course of antibiotics, as we just stated. However, it's important to note that this recommendation has not actually been studied in controlled trials. Clinical response to this treatment is typically rapid and dramatic, so if symptoms of mastitis fail to resolve within two to three days of appropriate antibiotic therapy, then a wider differential should be considered. Further investigation may be required to confirm the presence of resistant bacteria, abscess formation, or an underlying mass or inflammatory or ductal carcinoma. More than two or three recurrences in the same location also warrants evaluation to rule out an underlying mass or other breast inherent abnormality. All right, now that we've covered the specifics on lactational mastitis, what about an abscess? Well, if a well-defined area of the breast remains hard, red, and tender despite appropriate management, then an abscess should be suspected. An abscess occurs in about 3% of women with mastitis. Now, the initial systemic symptoms and fever can resolve, but the abscess can still continue. A diagnostic breast ultrasound will identify the collection of fluid. The collection can often be drained by needle aspiration, which itself can be diagnostic as well as therapeutic. Serial needle aspirations may be required. Ultrasound guidance for needle aspiration may be necessary in some cases. Fluid or pus aspirated should be sent for that culture. Consideration of resistant organisms should also be given depending on the incidence of resistant organisms in that particular environment. Surgical drainage may be necessary if the abscess is very large, typically defined as greater than 5 centimeters, or if there are multiple abscesses. Now, after surgical drainage, breastfeeding of the affected breast should still continue, even if a drain is present, with the provision that the infant's mouth does not come into contact with the purulent drainage of the infected tissue. A course of antibiotics should follow the drainage of the abscess. All right, Clinical Pearls listeners, let's wrap this up. Now, remember, the most common agent is staph 
aureus. And because deaf aureus is a common commensual organism often present in hospitals and communities, the importance of good hand hygiene should not be overlooked. It's important for hospital staff, new mothers, and their families to practice good hand hygiene. Breast pump equipment may also be a source of contamination and should be washed thoroughly with soap and hot water after each use. Alright guys, that wraps up our podcast covering lactational mastitis and abscess. Thanks for being part of our family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.